Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. You know, my dad told everyone he had a rotten colon. Did he really? He told everyone he had butt cancer. Yeah. He has an obsession with Sympa- for intestinal <laughs> digestive problems. <laughs> I wonder where he, how, what made him think of butt cancer, like anal cancer. Maybe because it's not as deadly. So when I he didn't it's, die, and it's he got could a play longer lead time. Yes, he yeah. could play it off. Doctor gave me a year, you know? <laughs> Not like, oh, I got three weeks to live. He's like, yeah. I got a year. Let it's me stage mo- one, though. Let me some money. <laughs> Jeez. So I can make this year the best year yeah. ever. Yeah. Oh, man, your dad. Sometimes I wonder, like, what he's doing with his life. He's standing by a sign that says penis that he found in Czechoslovakia. If, if that was anyone else <laughs> other than your father, and if you weren't estranged from him, don't you think we would find it kind no. of funny? It's so, like, something a 15-year-old would do. Yeah, which is why it's like funny. 60. Which is why it's funny that it's a grown-ass man. It's not funny. It's fucking sad. <laughs> The audacity of somebody to hold up a sign and smile. He didn't hold by it. It was like a town in the Czech Republic called Penis. Oh, so he's just posing. He just found it. And he's like, ha ha, look at this funny sign. Oh yeah, that's not as funny. I thought he made a sign. I would respect that. (laughs) That's what I thought. He's never made anything in his life except a bunch of fucking mistakes. And some abandoned families. Shame. (laughs) I thought he made a penis sign. No, that would be great ish not even okay so let's talk about the real issue okay there is a town called penis <laughs> yeah but in czech it's probably like penis or something you know does he live in penis <laughs> <laughs> you feel good now <laughs> yeah they get you all you feel real positive super relaxed yeah okay <laughs> cool Hello, everybody, and welcome back to let me tell you a story it's been a minute but we're here and we are ready to go. All right, babe, let me tell you a story about a brutal, brutal murder and one very unexpected killer. Ooh. Do you like that? I don't know if it's going to be unexpected. Let's be no, real. Fuck's <laughs> but that sounded better. You like to be like, they did it. She did it. He did it. Like, as I'm telling the story. That's just showing that I'm engaged in the story. All right, you ready? Yeah. Okay. Okay, calm down. (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) On a blistery winter afternoon on February 24th, 1992, good year, in Big Lake, Minnesota, Mm. 911 operators received a desperate, frantic call. On the other end of the line, a man clearly in distress yelled, My wife is dead. Mm. As the dispatcher tried to figure out what the hell was going on, the caller went on to exclaim, quote, I just got home and my little boy is here and I checked the bedroom and she's been stabbed. I got the two kids here. My God, what's happened? First of all. I got confused by him inserting his little boy into the description of a murder. It is a weird way of saying that. Yeah. And you know how 911 calls get like absolutely scrutinized. And he's like, I got the two kids here. My God, what's happened? It seems like random information to throw in there. Yeah, but you know, who knows. Yeah, and that's definitely what I thought too. I was like, dude, you're not making yourself look good right from the get-go. But- you never know how people react. Right. And he might just be just word, like word vomit. The man on the other end of that terrifying 911 call was Charlie Jensen. And as he would later tell investigators, Charlie had intentionally left work early that afternoon because phone calls home went unanswered by his wife, 
Linda Jensen, who he'd last seen before he left for work that morning around 6.45 a.m. Ooh, early start. Yeah. According to Charlie, the morning was as normal as any other in the Jensen household. When he left, their middle child, Joey, who was actually only Linda's biological son from a previous relationship, was just beginning to get ready for school, and he usually left every morning around 7.45 a.m. Linda and Charlie did share two kids. Her and Charlie have an infant daughter named Lisa, who stayed with Linda every day while Charlie worked. She's like basically a newborn. And they also had a son named Andrew who lived nearby. Andrew didn't live with the rest of his family because Andrew was actually the oldest, like nine years older than Joey. Okay, so they were together. They had a kid. They broke up. She had a kid with someone else. Joey, I presume not Jensen. Joey something else. Then they got back together and they had another kid. Yes, exactly. So... Basically, this was Linda and Charlie's second marriage. Hell yeah. Which, I mean, I kind of like that. It is cute. Yeah. So Andrew, their eldest, was uh, about 19 years old at the time of the murder, if I'm doing the math correctly. So he'd already moved out. He just moved out. Okay. Crazy. That's a crazy arc. So here we go. Before we get into who Joey's dad is, who I wish I will tell you, and all of Linda's past relationships, let's first pick up with the events leading up to the discovery of Linda's body. Yes. So like I said, Charlie told investigators that he had called Lisa multiple times that day, starting around 9.45 a.m., approximately three hours after he left for work. And by the time lunchtime had rolled around, he had already called her like three times, and it was honestly just starting to seem like Linda was ignoring him. Now, obviously, this must have been completely abnormal or out of character for him to think that, you know? Like, I'm assuming that because she was home with the baby every day, it must have been really easy for him to get a hold of her because why why would he think that she would be ignoring him? Yeah, and like who know like some people they call each other all the time, right? Right. Like some yeah. people like me, I'm like, I'm at work, don't yeah. talk to me. Yeah. And I say that just because I don't want anyone to think like, well, why would he get annoyed? No, like, for sure. Because I think that nowadays too, it's way more likely for someone not to answer their phone, you know, than it was probably back then. Like you I feel like people like my mom, I remember, like lived on the house phone. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Today, she was not easy to get a hold of at all, and that thinking that Linda was potentially just letting the phone go to voicemail on purpose, Charlie actually did become annoyed enough to leave work and head home early around 4 p.m. within minutes of placing that 911 call. When Charlie got home, he found Joey, who was at that time home from school already, doing his homework. He also greeted baby Lisa, who was playing in her playpen. Judging from the fact that Joey was doing his homework with not a care in the world, It's probably pretty safe to assume that the boy had not ventured very far into the house and definitely had not gone into his parents' room. And thank God for small mercies because when Charlie went looking for Linda, determined to figure out why she'd been a stranger all day, it was in their bedroom that he discovered nothing short of an absolutely horrific scene. Linda's naked body had been concealed by a comforter, but without even having to move the comforter, it was obvious that she had been stabbed. Because the murder weapon, a steak knife taken from the Jensen's own kitchen, was literally pinning the comforter to her body. It's a crime of passion. Yeah, but like, isn't that insane? Like, the comforter, the the knife is going through the comforter and then into her body. So she got stabbed. Someone put a comforter over her and then stabbed her one more time to like yeah. pin it? Yeah. And that final, you just took the words right out of my mouth. The final stab wound did just seem like the murderer needed somewhere to put the knife or wanted to just make sure. 
the job was done or I don't even think they wanted to make sure the job was done because he'd covered her with a comforter. I feel like you would want to make sure that that the person was dead by looking at them it's first. Very, it's uh, very crime of passion. Dramatic. Yeah, very dramatic. It's a dramatic image. And like some serious overkill, as you'll find out. Upon further inspection, Linda had been stabbed multiple times before being covered by the comforter and then obviously stabbed through the comforter, like you said, just that one last time. And all the stab wounds were to her chest, which that would show that the murderer definitely wanted to finish the job. That visual of seeing a knife through a comforter is... It's like something out of a movie. It is like something out of a movie. Yeah. It, like I said, it's like a horror movie. Like you a walk in and then you scream. In, sc- in Scream, it's like the knife is in the yes. kitchen in the breadboard. In the bread... Yeah, breadboard? Mm-hmm. Chopping board. Breadboard. Breadboard? Was there bread on it? No. Okay, then it's chopping board. Is it chopping board? Cutting board? Cutting board. God, we're so foreign sometimes. Jeez, I know. <laughs> sometimes I forget how foreign we are well, until like we start talking and then we say we can't think of what Americans call things. All right. Um, so obviously this scene would send anyone into a tailspin, as was the case for Charlie. But as we know, who is the first to be questioned, the first suspect? Yeah. It's always going to be the spouse, right? Or the partner, the boyfriend, the girlfriend, whatever. So for now, Charlie had to put his grief on hold and head down to the station where he would explain the events of the day and the discovery of her body, which I just laid out based on that initial police interview. So everything I just told you came from Charlie, okay? After getting the facts of the day, police then wanted to shift gears a bit and talk about the couple's marriage. 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 So now this is when you kind of got to pay attention because it's a little bit tangled, But exes are also persons of interest, obviously, so Linda's past partners will definitely come up again in this story. Charlie laid out Linda's relationship timeline, and it started with him. The two first got together as teenagers. They were just kids, but they were in love, and there was no denying that. In 1971, Linda turned 18, and she married Charlie. 18 years old, dude. It's a different time in the 70s. 18 years old. Yeah. I mean, my mom got married when she was 17. Was it love? (laughs) Was it true love? So two years after they got married, they had their first son, Andrew. And everything was really great until Charlie's drinking went from casual to excessive to a literal deal breaker. Oh, Charlie. Yep. Until Linda filed for divorce five years after Andrew was born in 1978. So to go seven years, that's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I think they really were, like, in love. I, I mean, they clearly got back together. But it, they didn't fall out of love. She just had a... She had enough of his drinking. Well, and she had a young child, you know? It would be like having Harrison, and one of us decides to become an... What? I should do with you. Oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> the worst. <laughs> you and your sugar addiction. Whatever. You had Cold Stone tonight, too. The next few years saw Linda moving on from her first marriage. She settled down with a new man named Robert Beard. Four years after calling it quits with Charlie, Linda and Robert welcomed their first son, Joey. Joey Beard. Mm-hmm. Oh. Who we know was the boy doing his homework when Charlie arrived home that fateful day. But unfortunately, their relationship also quickly went down the pipes. And by the time Joey was a toddler, the two had gone their separate ways. They were never married. Fast forward another four years after Joey's born, and Linda thought she had found her third charm in John, his last name is Silly Man. Shut up. I swear, but I think it's probably like Silliman, 
but it's S-I-L-L-I-M-A-N. Silly man. Silliman. But it's probably like Silliman. Silliman. Yeah. Even though you don't say Spider-Man, you say Spider-Man. So I feel like you'd say silly man. No, because you're still saying man. Silly man. No, you're not. You're, silly I'm, man. Silly man. <laughs> what is that accent? So, silly man. You're not saying silly because there's no Y. Silly man. Silly man. <laughs> what? Silly man. Is that better? <laughs> First of all, you're making a weird face when you say it. <laughs> I'm confused now. I had to write symbol today like 60 times. I was like, this is the stupidest fucking word ever written. <laughs> Looking at it, S-Y-M is fucking insane. Mm-hmm. And then B-O-L? B-O-L is also weird, Oh, yeah. it's awful. And it doesn't follow any sort of American English rules. No, it's some old-timey, like, Greek Yeah, word for sure. Me. You think about all the words that rhyme with it, like thimble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I often think about what rhymes with symbol. <laughs> or nimble. Well, anything ending in B-L-E, apparently. What? Who fucking cares? Why Dude, this is our new podcast. <laughs> okay, so she thinks that this is it, and she even moves from Minnesota all the way to California to settle down with John. Silliman. Yeah, Silliman. John would go on to adopt Joey. Damn. And Robert actually relinquished his parental rights over his son, so that could happen. Okay? I'm picturing Robert Beard as like a biker. Mainly because the two guys in ZZ Top, their last name is Beard. Really? Yeah. It is uh, when... And they had beards. Well, I I don't know what that is. (laughs) I don't know what what that is. is? No, I know what ZZ Top is. Um, I think that there's like a a thing with that last name. But like a stereotypical, like I'm a cool guy. Like that's... Like a tough guy? Yes. This probably felt like it was it for Linda. But just three years later, later... Later, in 1990, Linda was back in Minnesota with Joey after her relationship with John came to another heartbreaking end. Oh, man. But it wasn't all for naught because it was here, back in Minnesota, that Linda caught up with her first husband, Charlie, who was now sober. And it was like falling in love all over again. The truth was the two had never, ever gotten over one another. And it seemed that had Charlie not become such a heavy drinker in the first place, these two might have just worked out all along. But they were down for a second chance at true love. 20 years after they had first said I do, the couple remarried two months before welcoming their daughter, Lisa, into the world. So as police are learning all about Lisa's... (laughs) Did you forget where you were? Yeah. You're just going to start blowing your nose. <laughs> I can't the breathe. Fuck? I get a little blocked up. All right. <laughs> <laughs> it's over. It's over between us. I can't believe you just started blowing your nose in the middle of my sentence. Um, all right. So as police are learning with three ex-partners, only one thing was on their minds. That's a lot of potential suspects. Yeah, who done it, right? Yes. But they weren't even done with Charlie just yet. They asked for a DNA sample, which he happily provided. And they also asked him to take a polygraph, which he passed. Okay? Polygraphs are bullshit though, right? Yeah, but this is 1992. Uh, And also they collected DNA, but they really couldn't do anything with it because it was 1992. The fact that he was like, yeah, sure, yeah, sure. Yeah, it says a lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But until everything came back and until the 
you know, they got the autopsy and all that stuff, they were still suspicious of Charlie. And police knew that they still had more people to talk to. But before they could even really dive into that, a tip came in the very next day from the mailwoman. I sounded way too excited about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is exciting. It's like happenstance to have like a male person just happen to like be delivering mail that day and have something to tell cops. I think male people, persons, mm-hmm. they have a good insight into mm-hmm. random people's homes. Like we always have the curtains open. That guy knows all our shit. Yeah, he does. Yeah. All right. So the male woman had been to the Jensen house the day prior, the day of the murder. Okay. And she distinctly remembered seeing a man pulling out of Linda and Charlie's driveway. And she'd gotten a pretty good look at him, too. And she could also describe his car, a tan, older model pickup truck. As for the man, the mail carrier said he was a, quote, scruffy white man in his late 30s or early 40s. Thanks to her vigilance, she had enough details about the man's appearance for a sketch artist to provide a sketch of the man, which was then released to the media. With this new lead, police re-canvassed the entire neighborhood, asking if anyone else happened to see that pickup truck or the man driving it at all the day before. They really tried to track down this pickup truck. But imagine if, like, some police were canvassing our street and they're like, did you see a pickup yeah, truck? No. And we'd be like, yeah, we saw 45. Sure, but then imagine the farm, the lodge, yeah, yeah. right? Like, you see one car an hour right? So and, you- like, you know all your neighbor's cars. Right. Yeah. Did the sketch look like one of her former husbands? No, but also police were like, okay, you have this male woman who seems very confident and can provide all these details. But right now we have like all these suspects and it's a lot. It's a lot. And I just feel like police are way more likely, even if they're not trying to do it on purpose, they're way more likely to hone in on the people closest to the murder victim rather than some strange person leaving her driveway. I mean, I think there's a statistic for that, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Like it's somebody who's been in a relationship with Couple that with the fact that this woman had been stabbed in her heart so many times and it clearly was overkill and a crime of passion. You're going to immediately think, well, let's start with two exes, one current husband who also used to be an ex. There's a lot going on there. She yeah. has kids in different places. The one kid was with one father. Then he gave up his parental rights for another. She's had like kind of toxic relationships before. So I just think that for them, they were like, okay, great. We'll release this sketch. But right now it's all about these men, these three men. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, I also think because 1992 and maybe it's just the town that they were in, they were like, this is it. We got to track down this pickup truck. Okay. So they set out to re-canvas the entire neighborhood and they make such a big deal about this in all the reports. And they really thought they might have found one more eyewitness, one more person to corroborate the male woman's story. Um, So neighbors said, go talk to Kent Jones. He was the neighborhood Cub Scout leader and he might have mentioned something about the truck. But when they went to his house, his wife informed them that he wasn't there and she couldn't recall either of them spotting anything suspicious that day. So that was just another dead end. So now the pickup truck thing is just gone. Did they talk to Ken Jozo or just his wife? They do end up talking to him afterwards. So it was back to Linda's exes, starting with her ex-boyfriend, Joey's biological father, Robert Beard. Beard. So if you can recall, Robert had given up his parental rights and Joey was eventually adopted by Linda's ex-husband, John. But police had learned something interesting about Robert Beard. Despite having a less than active role in the majority of Joey's life, and despite the fact that he paid zero child support, accordingly, um, uh, 
accordingly, apparently something seemed to have changed in Robert and he had been seriously trying to become a better father, which meant that he wanted more visitation with Joey, but he's not his father anymore, legally, biologically, yes, Mm. but legally not. And Robert had come in super hard with that. Just weeks before her gruesome murder, Robert had called Linda demanding more time with his son, going as far as threatening to take her to court. Note, all of this is coming from still Linda's husband, Charlie, okay? And police were still on the fence with Charlie too. But a lead is a lead, so with that, authorities had to talk to Robert Beard, of course. When Robert was questioned about his demands and threats against Linda, that seemed perhaps maybe a bit too convenient to have gone down leading up to her being brutalized in the way that she was, Robert was quick to inform police that there was no way he could have been the pickup truck driver or he could have even been at their house at all, okay? Because he didn't have a pickup truck and he didn't even have a car for that matter. And he told police, you know, Linda and Charlie's are not even in walking distance. So yeah, it can't be me because I can't drive. Tell me that's not the worst alibi you've ever heard in your life. It's not very strong. I'd be like, okay. Um, I don't know, you know, maybe he was telling the truth, saying you don't have I a car. I thought you were going to say, oh, he was in Hawaii for no, four weeks. No, he said, <laughs> he said, yeah, I know I don't live that far away, but I can't drive. And I can't be bothered to walk. <laughs> yeah. And I don't walk anywhere. <laughs> saying you don't have a car obviously does not mean that you're not involved, okay? But when sometimes, when people say, sometimes when people say something as simple as, well, it can't be me, I can't drive. It almost makes you want to believe them more, you know, because you're like, what dumbass would think that this is good alibi unless maybe this is legitimately their alibi. That is their thinking. Like, I don't drive. It wasn't me. Do you know what I mean? I know what you mean. It doesn't work as an alibi and it doesn't make me feel that great about him as a person. Again, while police had all of these potential paths to venture down in terms of suspects, talking to Robert Beard didn't clear anything up. <laughs> they were like, all right, just leave. <laughs> get the hell out of here. You're walking like, home, right? Like, Can I get a lift? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But interrogating would have to take a quick pause because the official autopsy report had arrived and there was a lot to take in. According to the coroner, Linda had most likely died from strangulation. Oh, the multiple stab said. wounds were all overkill. And what do they say about overkill, babe? Um it's not good. Is that the phrase? <laughs> yeah. Oh. As as they say, overkill is not good. It's a it's a crime of passion, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, that's what overkill is. A crime of passion obviously narrows down this list by zero percent because any of these people <clears throat> could have committed a crime I mean, of passion. I mean, put yourself in the mind of of a person that would do that, right? So you strangle someone. Until they're dead. Mm-hmm. And then you stab them a bunch of times. Then you put a blanket over them. Then you stab them again. Yeah. So it's like either you're so furious mm-hmm. that you've lost your mind. Mm-hmm. Right? So like a crime of pa- passion mm-hmm. in the sense of like, not that I love you. Mm-hmm. Passion like, I'm so angry. I'm right. going to erase right. you. Right? Mm-hmm. Or it's like, they, you kill someone. Mm-hmm. And then you frenzy stab them, and then you feel bad, so you cover them with the thing. Right. And then you're like, I hate myself, and you stab them one more, more, more time. You know what right. I mean? Like, there's like a, there's something weird about, I think there's a thing about like covering yeah. a body is like some yes. sort of sign of shame. It's or, shame. You don't want to look at the, what you've just right. done. Right. But 
stabbing is also an indication of a sexually driven penetration. penetration. But also, this crime scene, I think, could be looked at so many different ways. You're, the two things you said are 100% correct, which is where my mind went to. You could also think about it, if this is a serial killer, kind of creating this dramatic scene to be found, which is like very common with serial killers too. Like, let's let's make this scene, let's pose this in a way for shock value. Because a yeah, lot like of serial a, killers like do that. Or like a signature or like a yeah. reputation. Yeah, like yeah. that one show we were watching the other day where he kept like, he kept like uh, mutilating them and then putting their body parts like on the ledge in the house for their loved ones to find. I, didn't, like, wa- I didn't watch that. Yeah, I don't think you're watching. I think I turned it off because I was getting so disturbed. I was watching it by myself. <laughs> so that wasn't the only revelation from the report, though. Unfortunately and horrifically, Linda had also been a victim of sexual assault. However, as awful as that is, the assault resulted in DNA, of course, which was collected. But again, this is 1992. Great and, year. Yeah, great year. Great year. Great year for people being born. Bad year for DNA, okay? Um, it was still so new at that point. And also technology and DNA coming up. And I'm sure it had been used. I think it was the or like the late 80s when it actually started being used. But but in comparison to today, it's like tragic, obviously. We know that, okay? So it was back to Linda's ex-husband, Joey's father, legally, not his biological father, but Linda's ex-husband. So they talked to Robert Beard, who wasn't her ex-husband. Now they're going to go talk to John. Sonny man. <laughs> silly man. Yes. Silly, sil, silly man. And like Robert, John also didn't have the best track record. Linda's family had told police that while John had adopted Joey, he was furious when he was later ordered to pay child support, claiming that Linda was the one who basically pushed the adoption, not him. Her family also claimed that John had become abusive and John only got more angry when he learned that Linda was pregnant again by Charlie before her divorce from John had been finalized. Also, I'm like, okay, but you guys had broken up. Like, get over it, you know? What, is she supposed to, like, not have any babies until, like, you guys, your divorce is finalized? Divorces take forever. I don't know how long. Yeah, but give me, give me statistics. She broke up with him in 1990, moved back to Minnesota, started dating Charlie again. They got pregnant. So like a year later. I think I would be furious if I got with someone, I adopted their child from another man, and then we broke up with them, and then she got immediately pregnant with somebody else's baby, and then she's like, hey, pay child support on... Your son. Your adopted child. For how long were they married? They were married... God, I keep having to scroll back like three down. years? Something like that, yeah. Three years. Yeah, three years. That's a that's a lot to chew on for silly man, mm-hmm. right? But I think if you really think about it, um, that's do you not care about the child? You're gonna be more mad at Linda for being like, you I know, guess his point is. What I don't I'm I don't know what to pay child support because you left me. It's like his who po- are you're angry his at Linda? Point, his point is. So you're gonna punish the kid. His point is. That she was like, we can't get married unless you... That's basically what he's saying, right? Which might may or may not be true. Probably isn't even true, but whatever. He's saying that she was like, we can't get married and I can't be with you unless you adopt my child from this other guy who's never paid me child support. And then they get together, doesn't work out. And then she's like, well, I'm leaving you. Oh, by the way, I'm with my ex-husband. By the way, I'm pregnant. By the way, pay me $1,000 a month. It's a lot. 
I can kind of see why he would get mad about that because it might to him have come across as, like you just said, adopt him because his father is not even a father. So he deserves a father in his life. And then he adopts him with her at her encouragement. And then she's like, all right, well, I'm going to leave now. You keep paying child support. So by like, the way, I'm pregnant. By the way, I'm pregnant. It's a lot. So I can see how that would come across it's really a, badly. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's a but lot. But the reason why she left in the first place, according to her, was the fact that he was abusing sure. her. I mean, maybe fucking Silly Man's an absolute monster. Yeah, asshole, maybe he's a murderer. But maybe. So at this point, now police have heard that John Silliman seemed like he was the most angry out of anybody. Yeah. Even more so than Robert Beard, okay? Yeah. All signs pointed to the angry ex, one with the potential motive to murder. So authorities hopped on the next flight to California with hopes of interrogating John into a confession. And what do you think they found when they got to California, babe? John Silliman mm -hmm. was married to someone else. No, they found nothing because John Silliman was completely innocent of this. This is what I said. That's what I said. <laughs> yeah. In fact, not only were they able to find that he had a rock solid alibi because he was definitely teaching on the day of the murder in California. He's a teacher. He's a teacher. Why are you using so much shade on Silliman? What? I was trying to build up the hype. Ah, oh, you tricked me. I did. Um, but that didn't mean he hadn't hired somebody to off Lisa, right? So then they scrutinized all of his financial records, which only proved that he definitely had not paid anyone recently to offer. Listen, to offer. listen. What? Even if John Silliman was furious and wanted to harm his ex-wife, fucking hell, you'd have to be super more motivated to mm -hmm. go to fucking Minnesota from California. Mm -hmm. Oh, I got to take time off work to go all the way there to like fucking murder someone. That's a lot. It's a lot. So after that, now they have... Charlie, who says he was at work. Charlie Jensen, Robert Beard. Robert Beard, who says he can't drive. Or mystery man. Mystery pickup driver. Yeah. And John Silliman. But John Silliman seems like, He's out of out. all of them, he definitely didn't do it. Okay? And once they reached down to that list, and they had re-canvassed the neighborhood, they had taken DNA samples from a bunch of people, they literally had nothing That's left. Right. So Robert Jensen was eliminated through... DNA, which didn't exist, and the polygraph, right? Robert Jensen, Charlie Jensen. Sorry, Charlie Jensen. Charlie Jensen. Yeah, none of the none of the DNA has been tested yet. Okay. But he just passed that polygraph. But the DNA will come back. Don't worry. But uh, yeah, so now they have they have no one left to talk to. They've talked to everybody possible that they can think of, and they're out of leads. Nothing yeah. else is coming in. So the case goes cold. That sucks. Yeah. Leave it to those who loved Linda, of course. Um, to fight for justice. So Linda's sister, Sandra, was like, uh-huh, yeah, hell no. We're not about to let a murderer get away with brutalizing my sister. According to reports, Sandra called the sheriff's office, like, to a level of excess. And I just was like, hell yeah. For years, with some reports saying that she called the sheriff's office every single week. For years. As soon as the case went cold and was like, how's it going? What do you think? Have you heard anything else? Do you think it's time to look at this? And it all finally came back seven years after Linda Jensen had been murdered in 1999 when the new sheriff in town, Sheriff Anderson, who just so happened to have been an investigator at the time of Linda's murder mm. and one of the investigators working directly on her case, decided to honor his promise to Linda's family to get justice for Linda. It's 1999 now. DNA technology had dramatically improved. 
And of course, they had a lot of DNA. During the initial investigation into Linda's close circle, including all of her exes, authorities gathered over 80 DNA samples, as well as, of course, the DNA from her sexual assault kit. With Which, thanks to DNA being so new back in 92, still, none of it had ever been tested. Didn't, didn't even test it. Yeah. So they were like, oh, hell yeah, we got all this DNA. Surely one of these samples is going to match the sample taken from the crime scene. And finally, they could compare Charlie's DNA to the crime scene as well. Because remember, he was the first person they spoke to, and they literally had never even been able to test his DNA. And they were like, okay, what if he bolstered all of these awful claims about her exes just to take the suspicion off of him all along. It was always him all along. The DNA would finally reveal the truth, except it didn't because literally not a single DNA sample matched the DNA left at the crime scene. Literally nobody's DNA that they had. And they had over 80 samples. Like the DNA of the rape kit? Yes. Okay. Didn't match to Charlie. Didn't match to Robert. Didn't match to John, which they were already sure he was out of the picture. Didn't match to any other persons of interest that they had canvassed. And I guess during the time that the case was cold, they were still collecting DNA samples from people with hopes that one day would match, you know? They would just put it into evidence that if the case ever got reopened, they would be able to look at that DNA. But literally, no, like, no DNA matched the crime scene. So they were basically back to square one. And when they entered the DNA from the crime scene into the DNA database... Mm -hmm. It also came back with no matches to any known sex offenders, okay? So police are literally like, what so the hell is happening here? It's not someone she knew. It's not a known rapist, murderer. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not someone the- they know she knew. All right, this was supposed to be their fresh start, and yet again, nothing happened to bring any sort of clarity in the least to what monster had taken the life of a beloved daughter, sister, and wife, and a devoted mother of three. And obviously, you can imagine how frustrating this must have been for Linda's family and her sister, who had been bugging the police this entire time, thinking, oh my gosh, finally someone else is going to get to the bottom of this just for it to go cold yet again, which is exactly what happened. Another year went by. And while people around the world survived, survived in air quotes, Y2K, (laughs) and celebrated a new millennium, Linda's family and friends were forced to accept that justice still had not been served in her case. So now it's 2000. And side note, I really had to take a second to accept that 2000 was 22 years ago. I graduated university in 2000. I was eight. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It was the year after my family moved to America. And of course, the reason we moved was literally because of the Y2K, which quick story. The reason I moved to America was my dad got a contract to work with a law firm in their IT department because if you're young, what the Y2K was was basically people thought that the banks were going to stop working, essentially. They thought all computers. All computers, but... Because computers wouldn't know what to do. Yeah, they were only programmed. They were only programmed to <laughs> be able to function until a certain time, and so they'd never been programmed to be able to carry over, according to them, into two thousand. So once it was eleven fifty nine p.m., everyone's like, "Oh my god!" Once it hits midnight uh, and it becomes January first, two thousand, the computers stop no. working, which then the banks would be heavily affected because without. The computers, the banks would basically crash they thought, they all thought, of them. I remember it. They thought airplanes were going to fall mm-hmm, out of the sky. Mm-hmm. They thought nuclear power plants were going to explode. Yeah. 
But I think by the time it got that close, they knew that that shit wasn't going to happen. They were just more concerned about the economy. But obviously that didn't happen, right? But my dad still had to fulfill his contract. And that's why we were here. <laughs> well, I got drunk midday because I went to an Australian bar. And then we went to a bunch of other bars to hit all the time frames of New Year's Eve. Then we went to the Thames. And along the Thames, they had parked all these barges that all had fireworks and they did the craziest firework display I've ever seen. So then once it became midnight in Australia, didn't that kind of just <laughs> seal the deal? Austra Does Australia celebrate New Year's, New Year's first? Yeah, because Greenwich, Greenwich Mean Time, England invented time. Great. Congratulations. <laughs> Do you want to pat on so the back? So that's zero. Australia's mm -hmm. latitude is the exact opposite side. So that's 12 hours ahead. And then I think Hawaii is the closest. There's no, I don't think there is a latitude 12 hours. The Galapagos is the closest, but obviously no one lives there. I think Hawaii is the last remaining populated area that would celebrate. So whatever. How the hell do you know all that? Because I'm a fucking smart person. <laughs> so then essentially it. Americans, because we're like 22, 23 hours behind Australia, when they woke up on the morning of New Year's Eve, they no. knew everything was Dude, fine. No, you were probably too young, but like no one gave a fucking shit. I mean, we didn't care. <laughs> no we weren't really like, gave a shit. we came to this brand new country, foreign as shit. Like, super foreign, and we weren't like, why did we come here? We're you all were gonna like, die. Let's eat at Publix. <laughs> no, at that point, and we were in Illinois already. Yeah. Yeah, we were. You were like, why is everyone white? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what was happening, and why is it so goddamn cold outside? Other notable headlines and events of 2000, you wanna hear it? Yeah. Bill Gates stepped down as the CEO of Microsoft. I remember that. Mm -hmm. But he remained, I think, chairman of the board for like four more years. The final Peanuts comic strip was published. Sony released the PlayStation 2. I remember that. I had. I have a PlayStation 2. <laughs> Did I bring it here? No. no, it was at my parents' house. But I had uh, Dance Dance Revolution, I remember. That was the jam. And um, was it Crash Bandicoot? It's the first, first 3D Grand Theft Auto game was on the PlayStation 2. Yeah, I, I also remember Grand Theft Auto was huge. Oh. Formula One returned to the US for the first time in nine years. The race was held in Indiana at the Indiana Motor Speedway, of course. Tiger Woods became the youngest golfer to win a Grand Slam. Ken Livingstone, do you know who that is? Yeah, the Labour, he became, did he become the mayor of London? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The first elected mayor of London. Yeah, he's an asshole. Oh, okay. You say that about every British politician. <laughs> they're all, yeah, they're all Liter assholes. I literally, I can't talk about any of them. The 24th Modern Olympic Games were held in Sydney, Australia. Over 10,000 athletes competed, and a record number of medals were awarded. It was before I cared about the Olympics. You made me care about the Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. I love the Olympics. Yeah, I didn't give a fuck about it until we, Not, <laughs> until yeah, we were but together. Once, we got, once I got you into mm -hmm. it, you came in so hard. I really appreciated that. And of course, by the end of the year, and after <laughs> a total shit show of vote counting in Florida, George W. Bush had officially won the presidency. Did you see what George W. Bush said? No, what did he say? So he released a press statement. Today? Yesterday. Okay. About the war in Ukraine. Mm. And he said, this is a elite, this, yeah, I can't quote it. I'd have to look it up. But he says something along the lines of like, this is like a criminal, illegal war in Iraq. I mean, Ukraine. Straight up. He did a video? He did like a fucking, yeah, it was like a recording. And he said Iraq by mistake. Oh my. Did he say Iraq? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I used to hate the way he said that. 
It's just a classic bush. Wait, he basically just admitted his own his own screw up accidentally. Yeah. Colbert like had a line about it. He's he's a great comedian. <laughs> wow. Should we listen to it? Yeah. Hold it up to the microphone so people can hear. The result is an absence of checks and balances in Russia and the decision of one man to launch a wholly unjustified and brutal invasion of Iraq. I mean, of Ukraine. <laughs> Iraq. Anyway. Uh, uh, how the fuck would he say that? He, Is he out of his no, fucking mind? No, he said that because... His brain worked too fast for his mouth. It was so off topic. Yeah, I know. Anyways, okay. So we were doing 20, we were doing 2000s. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That was the last one. There were a few more, but they were not You should good. keep the start of that bush thing because it's interesting. Yeah, I know. I will. And also in 2000, yeah. police received a tip. Finally. This tip would break the Linda Jensen murder case wide open and inevitably lead to her murderer. A woman named Angela Hennon came forward with information about a man she used to date. According to Angela, she'd brought up the topic of Linda's murder shortly after her death. This seemingly innocent mention of Linda completely enraged her ex, and he denied ever knowing her, okay? And Angela was like, well, that's a lie, because she knew her ex did, in fact, know Linda, because he was her neighbor at the time of her murder. Her ex was, in fact, Cub Scout leader, Kent Jones. No, Kent Jones. <laughs> yeah, so Angela found this very weird, but she put her suspicions to the side, okay? Assuming she was probably like, that's bizarre, but whatever. It's not like he killed her or anything. But Angela could not ignore the bright red-ass flag she saw when just a few months after that first outburst, Kent began recalling Linda Jensen, telling Angela that he used to know the slain mother of three. He told Angela he would see her running in their neighborhood regularly, and he'd even visited with her a few times. His total 180 freaked Angela out so bad. Yeah, I'd be like, oh, okay, cool. I have to go, but um, I'll call you later. Bye. Also, by the way, Ken Jones, remember, was married to a woman named Deborah when Linda Jensen was murdered. So Angela was a woman he was having an affair with. Police searched police records and quickly found the interview that they did in fact have with Kent eight years earlier. And they discovered that contrary to what he had told Angela the second time about knowing Linda quite well, he had also told police what he told Angela at first. He did not know Linda at all whatsoever. Right. So police are like, okay, they start digging. As we know, Kent Jones was the local Cub Scout leader. And as police would discover, a total family man very involved in his church. From the outside, Kent Jones was a saint, nothing more than a good old family man. But as they kept digging, they found that Kent Jones had a very, very dark side. There was a history of domestic abuse in the Jones household, with Kent Jones being the alleged abuser, obviously. That wasn't obvious by me saying he had a very, very dark side. In fact, several domestic violence calls had been made to police about Kent Jones, and one included an incident where his wife, Deborah, had to go to the ER with a stab wound. But Deborah had played it off as accidental, which honestly is just really sad, um, not even including her husband in the accident at all. According to Deborah, she said she had slipped near the dishwasher, which was open, and she landed, this is not funny, and she landed on a knife that had been loaded into the dishwasher blade up. I load all my, when I have a dishwasher, I load them all blade up. They get cleaner. You, first of all, when's the last time you had a dishwasher? Second of all, that's not the right way to load the dishes. I disagree. If you put them in the little plastic 
tray thing. That is false. No, it's not false. It is false. No, that's scientific. You're not fact. supposed to load it blade up. Okay. Well, that's how I do it, and it gets it way cleaner. Well, I hope you don't but slip also, and fall and land on one. I won't, because that's bullshit. It's, it's a bullshit made-up story. Yeah, that's well, never happened. Up. Yeah, it's really sad. So that's what they said. That's what she said, okay? And she, police did actually investigate that. They were like, huh? And according to police records, they could see that multiple domestic violence calls had been made, and they had yeah. been to the house already. So when she ended up in the ER with this this stab wound and she was like, oh, I did it. They were extremely suspicious of that story, but there's nothing they could do because Deborah didn't cop to anything, which again, just like devastating. Okay, so now fully realizing that Ken Jones wasn't as wholesome as he would outwardly appear, they decided to bring him back in for another interview. Kent maintained his initial story, the same thing he told police back in 1992. He did not know Linda. That story did not last long, however. (laughs) And after a bit of pushing and pulling, Jones changed changed his story, admitting that, okay, fine, yeah, she used to run by his house, and occasionally she'd stop to chat. When police questioned him about the possibility of him and Linda ever engaging in any extramarital sexual encounters, Jones immediately became enraged. So police were like, all right, all right, calm down. Just give us your DNA so then we can rule you out if, if what you're saying is true. But Jones wasn't having it at all. After all the DNA samples that had been collected over the previous eight years, Jones was the very first person to refuse to give up his DNA. Not a good look. But you don't need permission if you've got a warrant, which is exactly what police did. And alas, after eight years, an intense investigation into multiple persons of interest, Kent Jones's DNA matched the DNA from Linda's sexual assault kit. On July 25th, 2004, Kent Jones was arrested and charged with first-degree murder. He would in total receive additional charges, one for second-degree intentional murder and another for first-degree criminal sexual assault or conduct. As Linda's family and friends were surely relieved to know this creepy-ass Boy Scout leader was finally going to have to face a jury, prosecutors got to work building their case. The trial against Kent Jones began on May 31st, 2001. And Kent Jones would take the stand in his own defense, where he told the jury, yeah, where he told the jury that he and Linda were having an affair and that it was the only reason his DNA was found on her. In fact, according to Jones, they had consensual sex the day before her murder. Because, you know, they were in a relationship, he said, but he had no contact with her on the day she was killed, of course, right? And Linda's family was like open mouth furious at this admission. And by this time, it had become quite clear that there really was no affair going on. And so it was obvious that this story was just a sorry attempt at clearing himself from the murder by excusing why his DNA was on her, right? Just left over from the day before. But unfortunately for Kent Jones, this creative attempt at innocence backfired because the medical examiner testified that based on the condition of the sperm found on Linda's body, it was extremely unlikely to have been deposited an entire day before her ultimate death, okay? Shit was fresh. Disgusting. Now, this trial would go on for months, and I was shocked when I saw that the jury didn't render their verdict until December of 2001. And I was like, huh? But I also read in court records that his first indictment was allegedly thrown out, and I'm not fully sure why, but it looks like there were some legal issues with his first grand jury indictment. And that he may not actually have gone to trial officially until November, which would mean it was only about a month-long trial. On December 8th, 2001, the jury found Kent Jones guilty on all three charges. Yeah, no shit. And the very same day, 
Jones was sentenced to life in prison. Finally, justice for Linda and some sort of vindication for those that loved her, at least for a little while. Three years after Jones received his life sentence, he was awarded a retrial on appeal. So in his appeal, Jones stated that while the defense wanted to present evidence leading to other suspects, including Linda's ex, Robert Beard, since there were still ways in which they could have been, he could have been involved since his major alibi was, I don't have a car, right? The court ended up siding with him saying that uh, they said that evidence pointing to other suspected killers should have at least been allowed to be presented. So it was decided Ken Jones would get to face another jury. In 2006, the second trial kicked off, and despite the fact that he'd gotten the second trial based on evidence against Robert Beard, he pointed the finger this time at Linda's husband, Charlie Jensen, and the mysterious pickup truck driver. Did he represent himself in the second trial as well? Well, he took the stand in both trials, but I think he also represented himself, because when I was reading certain reports, it kept saying he called this person or he... I was like, huh? Like, I don't think that they would write that unless he was representing himself. But maybe he also had a lawyer with him? I'm not sure. It's a good thing that he brought up the pickup truck, though, because, like, what happened to that, you know? I would still be like, well, who was in the pickup truck? How come no one ever came forward and was like, oh, that was me driving, Right. right? Did the police sketch match him? I don't think so. At his second trial, Jones also changed up his claim that he and Linda had had consensual sex the day before. He claimed he'd actually been with her the morning of the murder. And he defended his previous lies by telling the jury that he'd only lied because he thought that if he revealed that they'd had sex the same day, that she just so happened to be murdered, that would lead straight to a conviction. But, I mean, it still led to a conviction, okay? But And also by saying that, he was basically admitting that he perjured himself in the first trial. Yeah. Okay? Unfortunately, these slanderous comments about Linda wasn't the only disgusting thing that came out of his mouth on the stand. You get ready for this. Kent proceeded to tell the jury that he was very skilled in the bedroom and that Linda had sought him out for, quote, more spice. I think he called himself a skilled lover. I hate when people call themselves when they're trying to talk about their sexual abilities and they say, like, I'm a very passionate lover. It's disgusting. (laughs) It's just so creepy sounding. And apparently he called his ex-wife to the stand. And she said he was a skilled lover? She was like, he's not. (laughs) Like, I swear. So this second trial, all of his new angles did not help him at all because Jones was again found guilty on all three charges, receiving another life sentence. And today he's incarcerated at the Minnesota Correctional Facility, Stillwater in Bayport, Minnesota. He's eligible for parole in July of 2030. And I saw that as of 2018, um, there was like a development because I guess he had been fighting for his innocence for a while and he got the Innocence Project involved. Um, And I think they took his case on in 2011. And then they dropped it. And then they closed it. Yeah, he's guilty. He's guilty. (laughs) So, it was a regular day. Everything was fine. Kent Jones just went to her house and then raped her, strangled her, stabbed her. The end? What I can only assume, I think that the police really did do their due diligence looking into every aspect of this murder and, like, tracking all of the records there was no signs that the two of them were having an affair so i really do think he got some sort of 
infatuation with her right. from her like running past his house all the I time. I guess he wouldn't have to break in because he's her neighbor, right? So he's right. just like, hey, neighbor. Yeah. Like, hey, can I come in and yeah. we can talk about blah? Because he maintained his innocence the entire time. Like, he never had to say exactly what happened. He didn't think he ever had to do that because he just said, like, oh, you're putting an innocent man to jail. Scary. It's terrifying. Especially when everybody else in the neighborhood wouldn't even think to be like, look into this guy. Well, he's got a good cover, right? Yeah. They, In fact, they, the neighbors suggested that the police go talk to him because he would be a reputable person and maybe he yeah. would have seen the pickup trucks. It's lucky you don't run in the neighborhood, you know? Yeah, this is why I don't run. This is the reason why this you don't exercise. This is the reason. It is dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> it is dangerous. That is why I don't run. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's really, like, it's awful. It's actually awful. It's awful. And who knows if it was, like, he tried to come on to her without any plans to kill her because he's not like he showed up to her house with a murder weapon. He took the knife from their kitchen. And can you imagine the parents of the Cub Scouts that this man had been, like, watching over for years in that town? I would be horrified. Like, yeah, that's an understatement. You let your children, because you trusted this man so much, because everything he put out in the world was very trustworthy, you let them go on, like, tr- camping trips with this man, right. knowing that he, like, brutally, like, murdered somebody right. that everybody right. knew. Right. Yeah. Ugh. It's just, it's, like you said, it's terrifying, because you never freaking know anybody. <laughs> He was a complete predator. Yes, he was like a predator. Fucking raped he her. He was then like a monster her, then, type. Like strangled her, then yes. stabbed her, and then I, lied about it. Yeah, and I think the the manner in which she killed her just screams serial killer. It's to like me. psychopathic. Yeah, like yeah. he would have done this again. It was a good story. It was a good story. And it wasn't that complicated. Well, good. You know why? Why? Because unlike the other story where everyone was like Billy Bob, May Bob, Billy Jean, Billy. Yes. This, everyone had like different names that were very interesting, different names. Yes. Jensen, Beard, Silly Man, right? I tried really hard to write it in a way that wasn't going to give it up too fast. This dog has to go outside. (laughs) (laughs) You ever watch a crime show though, where like they set up all these characters and then in the last episode, they're like, oh, it's this guy that you saw in the background of this one episode and you're like furious because you're like, that's not fair on you as a viewer to figure it out. Well, this was a little bit like that. Yes, I know, but. I wanted to tell it in a way that it really was like, you know? I wanted to tell it in the way that yes. no, I think I, it was yeah. authentic to I'm how not, the investigation went. I'm not mad gone. about it because that didn't mirror how the investigation went. Um, anyways, thank you all so much for listening to this episode. I really hope that you enjoyed it. Um, and it's just an absolutely horrible story about what happened to Linda. And God, I hope that those kids are okay. I always think about the kids. My mom hormones don't allow me not to. But thank you guys so much for listening. And apologies again for the delay. But I'm really hoping to get things back on track. I had bronchitis. And then I had gastritis. And I'm not kidding. It was probably the worst month of my life. Um, That's an over-exaggeration. But it was pretty damn close. So I'm feeling much better. And I'm really excited to get going and get more episodes up. I've done so much research lately on a 
few more episodes and just some lesser known cases like this one that we can dive into. If you do have any cases that you think we should cover, please email them in to let me tell you a story pod at gmail.com. And of course, you can follow Nils and myself. Um, pretty simple. Our first and last names at Nils Davy and me at Sinead DeFries on Instagram. And of course, support the show. Give us a like and review it. And there's also a link that you can support the show in the show notes as well. As always, all the sources for this episode are down in the show notes. Um, if you want to read more about this episode and read some more of the later developments after uh, Kent Jones was sentenced and his really sad, pathetic attempt at getting out of jail. He sucks. All right, you guys, thank you so much. We will see you in just a few days. I mean, not see you. We'll talk to you in just a few days. All right, bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.